All right, we're trying now, this again because checking. apparently now we we're checking. Loud that enough. looks good. Yeah, you know, you know, people have volume knobs on their on their devices, Look right? How nice that waveform looks. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good looking waveform. It's a nice. Hey, I think we're ready to go. Curves. Are we ready to go? Have you heard about this? There's these tattoos now. Shut up. We'll you, get in. You can get a waveform tattooed on your arm, uh, and then you have an app that scans the waveform and, and plays, plays the, the audio file. That's the most dumb shit I've ever 1985, heard. I arrived. 33 years, damn, I'm grateful I survived. We wasn't supposed to get past 25. Joke's on you, motherfucker. We are alive. Alive, alive, you, you survive. Alive, 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 you, you survive. Alive, alive, jokes on you, mother, jokes on life, jokes on you, motherfucker, we are alive. All right, hey. Taylor, Taylor James, welcome. That's my name. Back to the podcast Thanks again. Thanks for having me, man. The last time we tried this, we got in a fight. Cause yeah. You got mad because I was like, I don't like the content. 30 minutes in. <laughs> no, you were, we were saying pretty, you didn't we were like pretty the drunk. content. We were pretty drunk. We were yeah. pretty drunk. Yeah, we were. I think it was just, I was like, I don't feel it being good because we're too drunk. Yeah. Whereas now we're we're having a nice little drinky drink here. But yeah, tell me about this again. This is, uh, this is a beer I just picked up. It's Zilker Brewing, actually. Zilker's, um, I guess, Austin-based, obviously. Oh, like Zilker Park. Yeah. So this is a one of their uh, stouts. Cheers. It's one of their like I don't even know I forget what's in it, but it's yeah, it's a good beer. Cheers. Yeah. So how are you, sir? You know, the holidays were a little rough. I got into a car accident, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, scary. I got into one of those myself earlier this year. You As know, you recall. how much time did you have between the moment you knew half, you were going to Less than half a second. And the crash. Less than half a second. Okay, I had four seconds. Yeah, that's like, that had to feel like 40. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, you're like <laughs> spinning. You're like, oh, I might die. I anticipated did it you, coming. Did you have that moment of thought, like I might die? No, I don't you think. You just knew um, it was going to be an impact. Yeah. You were just bracing yourself for impact. Exactly. But you and had I'd four spun seconds. Out and done a 180 after hydroplaning, yeah. and then crashed into the concrete embankment. And I guess I was going about like 50 miles an hour, like fast enough. I thought you said you were going like 70. Well, initially, but I think once I spun out and slowed down, just due to the spin, when I hit the wall, I was probably going between 40 and 50. Yeah, and that's enough. Well, to like, I was. That feels like you're getting hit by a linebacker. Plus, the uh, airbags actually is what caused these like abrasions. Yeah, on my body because you know they deployed so quickly. Do you have any sort of just uh, some like seatbelt bruising? Not exactly. No, I was no. on the side, so the impact wasn't forward. It wasn't a forward force into the seat. So belt. what hit the the um, the driver side? The driver side. So you hit the the wall on the side of the car. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Yes. It exactly. wasn't like a direct no. impact, like on the front. Okay. No, and uh, I survived. Matter of fact. There was a guy who had just spun out on the same <clears throat> slick spot on the road, right, right ahead of me, and he came up to my car and he goes, "Oh my did god, did he are hit you the okay? wall as well?" I don't yeah. think I, you asked you that. He did, and he was like, "Are you all right, man? I just did the same thing," and I was like, "Yeah, I know." Yeah, <laughs> how much time between you seeing him that happened to him when until it happened to you? Uh, between twelve and fifteen seconds. Okay, uh, 
but did it took you that long? You you didn't process like, oh shit, he just hydroplane because there's got to be a patch of water right here. Yeah, so I took my foot off the gas. I moved one lane over, and still, mm. I was going ten miles under. Dude, the hydroplaning speed limit. is is scary because it was a it perfect could, combination of oil. But on sometimes, the road yeah, but sometimes you just can't see the water. Sometimes you just like you're. It's it was it night or daytime? Daytime, yeah. Oh, it was daytime. Eight thirty. Well, in the even still, man, sometimes the, those patches of water can just be really. Yeah easy to miss or not not really process how much water is on the road yeah. you know it's dangerous That's crazy, but ultimately man. i survived and uh, i have a new lease on life <laughs> dude do you uh did you have any like you feel any like ptsd after the fact a little bit i had some ptsd after mine dude because mine was like that was that was really rough man like i was on my way to that job interview in austin right. that morning it was this. like 5 a.m. in the morning. I was on 35. And, you know, I'm just like trying to fucking get my fucking shit like set up, my GPS and stuff. So I'm like putting that up. Like I just took my, I literally took my eyes off the road for That's all it what takes. felt like maybe two seconds. Yeah. But it, the crazy thing was that I was looking forward, right? Obviously I'm driving. And then from the time I took my attention away from the road for just those brief couple seconds, it's like it felt like the car just came out of nowhere. It was mm-hmm. so crazy because, you know, you know when you're, you see when a car you're coming up on is going way slower than you and how, how quickly you're coming up on them, you know. Yeah. Like, it just I just never saw it. I don't know. I, I have no idea if he was off the shoulder and was getting on or I don't know exactly where the impact occurred. I mean, I know the kind of the general couple hundred yards where yeah. it occurred, but I don't know exactly where it occurred. But, Damn. bro, that's like... I, for a couple of like days afterwards was like not, I was feeling anxiety about even driving at all. Cause it was like, Oh yeah. I was just like, man, this is it. Those imp- that impact, bro. Oh my gosh, man. Cause I was going 70 and I, I don't know how fast he was going. He wasn't at a dead stop, but he, f- it felt like he was close to it. He was probably going like 30 miles an hour on 35. Jesus. It had to be. I mean like for the, the force of the impact. Cause right. if, if another car in front of you is going 65 and you're going 70 and you impact him, it's going to, just bump. It's gonna bump them, but you know it'd be like hitting. It'd be like an impact of five miles an hour anywhere. You know, it's not a big impact. Yeah. At five miles an hour, the impact I hit him at had to be 50, 60, Jesus. maybe not sixty, but like yeah. fifty miles an hour. Right. Meaning, if I'm going seventy, then he had to be going like twenty on the fucking highway. And so I didn't see him, but at the same time, it's like, why the fuck are you going that slow on the fucking highway, dude? Yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking? Who knows? And also, I mean, are you not paying attention? Because if I saw headlights coming up behind my, like, at a really, really fast clip, like, I had to have been on him, I would just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that. Maybe I'd be oblivious. Or maybe you just, it just happened so quick. The but yeah, dude, and that's... The insurance are always going to say that it's the person's fault who rear-ended right. another driver. But of course. I was fine as soon as the accident happened. And then, like, whenever my adrenaline wore off, I was like, oh, I'm hurt. Yeah. My joints, my neck. Bro, that's like a huge dump of probably, I don't know, serotonin or I don't right. know, into your brain when Isn't it happens. Wild? And it's like you're just on a high almost yeah. of, that, of the accident, which is crazy. I didn't but feel it's like when you ride a roller coaster. For the first, like, you know, you ever 15 to 20 minutes. You ever get off a roller coaster and you feel kind of euphoric for yeah. a few minutes afterwards? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. Yeah. They're, well, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. I'm glad everyone's you. okay. Yeah. So, uh, for the audience that's listening, uh, there's uh, maybe not a lot of background on us, but uh, you and I uh, met, it's been now 10 years ago. 
was a bit 10 long. years. It was probably, wow. was it November of 2009? I think it was November of 2009. I think it was right after Halloween, actually. Yeah, because it was you and cold. Mitch had been at a Halloween party, right? That year or something? Was there a party? I knew there was a party. I don't know. That remember. might have been where I met Mitch. Yeah, Mitch being the lead guitarist from our former band, The Hooch. Yeah. But um, yeah, and we met at the karaoke bar. I was singing a tonic song. You and Joe, Joe being the bassist, also yep. your cousin, uh, were there as well. I was there with my brother, and I guess y'all thought I was a pretty good singer. Yeah, I turned to Joe. I had and no I was idea like, I was a do drummer. You think I should uh, talk to him and ask him. And he was like, "You wouldn't do it," and that's reverse psychology, uh, right it's, there. It's hilarious because that's yeah. like something you would say to your dude debating talking to a woman. <laughs> like, should I go talk to her? Like, you won't do it. Like, so when you got on stage, I stood up and I was like, uh, "Hey, man, good job." And I think you probably used to just people saying, hey, good job. But this time I was like, sit down. I want to talk to you about something. And that kind of took you for surprise. Yeah. And when you sat down, I was like, straight up. I was like, hey, listen, I have a project going. I'm looking for a lead singer. Yeah. Would you like to come over and audition? It just it is funny how the universe works sometimes, because mm -hmm. obviously I I've been doing karaoke since, you know, I was 18. I started going out to do karaoke at different places. Applebee's. Me and some homies. Oh, oh, you know my, oh, you know my buddy Roland? Oh. You know Roland Garcia? He's uh, the VP of entertainment that uh, works at SeaWorld. He's like the top oh, dog yeah, in the yeah, Roland. department. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, man, you know he's Roland. a huge You've, Hooch fan. <laughs> yeah, so him and I, uh, the reason I met him was I started doing karaoke at the old Applebee's. It's no longer there, but it's Ojos Locos now. But uh, we used to go out there on Tuesday nights uh, way back in the day, and that's where I first met him, 2004. So, I've, you know, yeah, I do karaoke a lot, and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty decent singer, so I do have people come up to me. So, yeah, whenever you approach me, it was just like, a, oh, thanks. You know, like I didn't expect it to be more than a – and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm like yeah. very grateful. Thank yep. you for saying that. It's nice. Yep. But then you sat me down, and then you start talking project, and then you didn't realize at the time, and you didn't – and I didn't say anything either at the moment. I didn't say anything until I said it with what I did on, this, on the drum set. But I had been practicing. I had just like had this urge to start playing – and so I, my brothers... You're well, leading into this, the drums part. Our okay, drum go. set was set up. Go. My brothers and I bought a drum set from all way back in high school, and we all kind of shared it, but it was at my mom's house. So I had been going over to my mom's um, and just sitting down and like putting headphones on and playing along with songs, just playing, getting chops, getting my hands moving and stuff. And so I just had this urge to play. So I don't know why, but you know, leading up to that. So then when that happened and I'm like, they don't even know I'm a drummer. And I actually remember thinking like, it's kind of funny that y'all don't know I'm a drummer. Yeah, Why didn't you mention that? Cause you I was, drummer? I was like, you're recruiting me as a vocalist. I was like, maybe your drummer's badass. Maybe I'll go over there and I'll be like, Oh fuck. I don't even like, I'm going to be like, Oh yeah, I play drums too, but I'm not good. But then I went over there and the and drummer was we Chris Moore. <laughs> you obviously saw that. Chris Moore is now a lawyer <laughs> because Let's just say he you know, doesn't have chops on the drums. He doesn't. Yeah, he's 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 not very musically inclined in general, but he's a nice guy. He's a great writer. He's a, he's a good writer. He, he has some creative ideas and just musically, just the technical musical ability is was not there. So whenever I heard him playing, we we did a couple songs, I think, whenever I first came over and I was like sitting there like, oh, my God, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. And I, in my head, oh, I knew no. I would never join a project with a drummer this shitty, but I play drums. So, yeah. Moral S dilemma, what do I do here? Which I wanted to be the vocalist because that's what, you know, what I know that's my best, my best natural talent is my voice. I just, you know, it is what it is, but it's like, it's very difficult to play drums and, and sing. 
uh, I did it okay, I think. But yeah, so you know. the way that we found out Cody plays drums is that we took a five-minute break after singing a couple of cover songs together, and everybody stepped off their instruments, and Cody took that opportunity to sit down at the drums. And you, you don't have to talk about me in the third person either. We can just talk like you and I. And <laughs> they'll know. They'll know who we're yeah. talking about. Anyway, but yeah. No, uh, Taylor wants I, to talk Taylor, about Cody. Taylor wants to talk about That's how <laughs> this is going to work. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here now. Yeah, so, yeah, so I sat, sat down. down. And, yeah, I just I played. Him. I just played. I mean, I just played like nothing. I played like a basic 4-4 four, four pattern. How long did it take me to then turn to you and say, hey, do you want to be the drummer? It couldn't have been more than 60 seconds. <laughs> it was like... And Chris is like, bro, I didn't even look at Chris, but I'm sure Chris was probably like, yeah, that's about right. Like, yeah, I didn't even I mean, consult he, him or anything. It didn't take more than 30 seconds for y'all to know. I mean, I wasn't at that time. Uh, over the course of us, you know, the two and a half years we played together, my chops got so much better over that time. But at that time, my chops weren't that great. But even at that time, my chops were still 10 times better than any best yeah, thing that Chris ever did. Yeah, we just all looked at each other and then as just soon as knew. like you stopped playing after and it was 60 like, seconds. I think it feels like I, I was I was that last little piece that got put in place where everything just clicked. You yeah, know? but at the time actually we didn't know if Joe was going to be a permanent addition to the band although like he was willing to be the bassist. He was only going to live in San Antonio temporarily. Mm -hmm. he, he was um, evacuated from a hurricane yeah, and crashing on my couch. I, I don't think I've ever. Maybe I've kn I knew that, but and I he forgot just ended about up that. staying permanently. Yeah. Well, we all knew we had something from very early. I just that's why I feel like certain bands, like there's two types of bands. I think there's bands that are just hired guns, all being brought together for a you know professional appearance, a uh, performance. And then there's just the organic yeah, the, forming uh, the bands velvet that they just this person meets this person meets this person and all of a sudden everything comes together and it's like we've got something here. Yeah, and that's, that's what Nirvana. we had with the hooch. Mm -hmm. And I think early on, you know, year one or about a year in, we won or didn't we win when we came in second place in the Battle of the Bands in Austin at the former Red Eyed Fly, which is no longer well, there. Didn't we first win the UTSA Battle? No, of the we bands? won that after. That I was think. after. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we won the UTSA Battle of the Bands like shortly after. I don't think it was mm -hmm. that long after. So once we did that, I'm like, we did that, and I was like, I don't, I don't think there was a ton of bands in that competition, but nonetheless, yeah, you know, we had already come in second, so we knew like, and there were like 50 bands in Austin, too. in Austin, which there is a never-ending supply of shitty bands in Austin. Yep, but <laughs> <laughs> there's technically not a lot of solid bands in Austin. There's a lot of bands, but you know. So us coming in second, though, still after a year, it was like, you know, I, I just had fun. I, I, I never cared about it. Like when we did that contest, I didn't care if we won. I didn't care if we came in any place. I just was like, I like playing gigs. It's fun. And I enjoy, you know, hanging with everybody and us oh, all. So you're saying once we won, you were like, maybe, then I, maybe once we, we won, I was something. like, I didn't know. I had no, I mean. You had no reference. I know you had been in bands, but you've been in bands that were yeah. maybe more even possibly the the ceiling for them was even maybe higher than what the hooch's ceiling maybe would have been or was only one actually had the but that was the vocalist right that was a lead that's a lead like man thing yeah that's a lead man thing oh the hooch was my seventh band right but I think the product the the originality factor the hooch had had it more so than anything else probably yeah. so everybody always thought our sound was very different no there was it was hard for them to compare us to anyone. And that's what I liked about that because, you know, there's certain bands you hear, you're like, you sound like this band or you sound like that band. I don't think we sounded like any band. Right. I got, right? That, I got that compliment a lot. So I think that was, to me, 
after having been doing stand-up these last 10 years concurrently with the hooch for those first few years and then just strictly stand up after the hooch disbanded it's like that you that's important creative just a, a unique voice a, in, a, in the voice of the band a unique sound that right. the band has i think we had it i think we had a very unique sound you couldn't compare us to anyone else it's like we came along and there was nothing like us before right and that's what i think made it, it such a special project and i i still you know have good strong warm feelings about the hooch and i'd love if one day we would all be able to get back together and play again because i don't think i don't think the four of us have gotten together like three of us have gotten together on a, a few occasions the hooch reunion but i don't think we've had tour. all four of us yeah reunion <laughs> tour the one the tour nobody asked for <laughs> yeah but 2020 um so yeah man that's coming to a theater near 10 years year. later some substance abuse uh overcoming things and been you moving to california shit. me moving to new york for a while us coming back to texas and who would have thought like now you're a stand-up comedian and i'm a magician i mean we're still like in the entertainment yeah. industry you know i think we're just creative at heart and we yeah. always want to do something and like we found another outlet i mean and i'll still jam or play guitar i play piano at the senior living community center across the street for old people yeah hey, that's pretty fun. i still like to go do karaoke man right I mean, I mean, so to me, just, that's we're going to entertain no matter what. There's the middle child syndrome that I have. Hey, me too. I'm a middle child. Yeah, I think it's what it is. I think we've made that connection. I think before. that's what it is. Look though. at me. Yeah, you're Someone always pay attention. The to oldest me. is the oldest. The baby's the yeah. baby, and you're somewhere in there, and you're like, well, that explains you're why like, I does anybody a care about me? Right. That's a that's a need for attention that you satiate. We both satiate with different performance. Like yeah, I feel it's personally all, attacked right now. Look at now. me, look at me. Yeah, but uh, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So if I'm like itching to do stand up, or maybe I can't, I don't have a chance to get on stage. I'll go do karaoke just to like scratch that, because that's it's there's two there's two elements of yeah. it. There's two it's elements an itch of you it. Scratch. I've always had that, but whenever I started doing stand up after discovering Bill Hicks, was when it started clicking in a way that was like more of the, what is he saying? What is he talking about? The things he was talking about. I was, you know, this young early 20 something dude that had all these thoughts like, you know, fuck the system, fuck the, fuck the man, all that shit that Bill Hicks found a way to like make all right. that shit, See, talk about all that shit Bill and Hicks be a voice and hilarious. a message. He always was saying something. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just making a joke. He was mm -hmm. also delivering truth yeah and his it's like his reverberations in the ether reached me and then yeah. and then it made it like it illuminated me somehow there was like an illumination that happened for me and all of a sudden i'm like i have wow. to get on stage and do this now like i had wanted to for a while he did so much so young how old was he when 32? he died Two. and what did he die from pancreatic cancer oh man that sucks he did so much and accomplished so much and Wild had so much like, how do you have so much wisdom and perspective at 32? Because I'm, I'm 32. I just turned 32 a yeah. couple of weeks ago and I feel like I know nothing. Like I had to restart my life in my mid twenties. And so I got to keep that in mind. But like, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm nowhere. I think there's only a handful of guys like of that cloth that come along in a in a century you know i think there's i think there's only he's one of 
there's probably only maybe who else today would you say has that kind of like that voice like Chappelle but yeah. that kind of voice I would have to say Stanhope would probably be the closest really to what Hicks may have been but even Stanhope is so different from Hicks Doug Stanhope right yeah Doug Stanhope wow yeah but even him I mean there's no comedian like there, that's because there's some guys that just come along and just change the game like they it's like Jordan in, in the NBA yeah you know there's no doubt amongst anyone that knows anything about basketball that Michael Jordan is the best basketball player to ever get on a you know step on a hardwood what about before. Jordan in Major League Baseball I mean <laughs> it's probably like my comedy career <laughs> Hey, I, I saw that on Facebook. You said that you're one vote shy of getting the Texas South funniest. Yeah. And I was like, congratulations, man. You're almost funny. Yeah, I saw that. That was really funny, dude. Yeah. Now, I don't know. The, you're welcome. The GM at LOL Comedy Club. I'll be Club, here all night. The GM at LOL Comedy Club came up to me after the show. That's strange that he made a point to tell you that. And told me that. And I'm yeah. like, okay. Or so does that mean you want to book me? Or <laughs> like, Yeah. But I actually got a booking out of it. Oh, not, nice. Not at LOL, but I got a, this past weekend I did uh, hey, a, gig's a, gig. a road gig. It was a winery in Johnson City. But Take it. Yeah, I did it. I'm still nice. waiting to get paid. Oh, shit. Motherfucker. You know who you are. Pay me, bitch. <laughs> Pay me my fucking money. What are the chances I'm that broke. they're going to listen to this? Doubtful. <laughs> not very good. <laughs> and I'm not going to throw him under the bus yet, but if we yeah. have a couple more days before, because he told me he was paying me today and it's now longer. Almost not today. Uh, anyway. Well. Yeah. Uh, that was interesting because that's almost like a, what I was going to tell you earlier. This is what I'm going to tell you earlier. Okay. And you, your brother called you when we were talking on the phone. Oh. But uh, it kind of felt nice because I really didn't bring anybody out. My mom and dad came and that was pretty much it. Oh, to the show in Johnson My mom City? brought a friend. No, no, no. I'm talking about the funniest comic in Texas right now. Oh. So okay, I really, it, it yeah. was probably... Yeah. 40, 40, 45 maybe people in the audience. Mm -hmm. It wasn't huge, but, you know, decent sample size. And the fact that, mm, like, pretty much all those people were not people I brought out mm -hmm. and that I still was only one vote away from advancing was a little bit of a nice thing to know because at least it was like... Would you say I didn't, If I had brought a bunch like, of people out... Do other mean, people do that? Is, if that, that was where I, I was going. I don't know. I don't know how many people that were there came out for a specific person. Mm -hmm. Or how many people were just wanted to go out to the comedy club that night and just were like, oh, yeah, we'll go watch this. Yeah. But I would say probably at least two-thirds of the people there had come out for one particular person. And of those, only a, you know less than a handful were for, for mine, people yeah. I brought out. So if you have other people that come out for, or people to support, you know, it's like you're gonna, they're going to obviously vote for them. But the interesting thing was... They did the the voting. They put every the ballot with every comedian on there. Okay. You, you had to choose three, which I liked because then if you choose three people, then, you know, if you're not, if they didn't come out for you, but they liked you still, then, you know, you have to vote. They're giving you a vote as well as that person. They came right. out to see a vote. Yeah, I like that. But here's the thing. My mom told me after the show, her friend had voted like her, the people she thought, the three people she thought were the funniest. My mom and I think my dad both had voted like for me and then voted for people they didn't think were funny and had like basically thought had no chance to win because in their <laughs> mind they thought I don't want to give a vote to someone else that might have been in the running right. and give them help when it could be close. 
but it actually made me I was I actually thought interesting more I was more on the side of my mom's friend because I'm like just vote for the three funniest people because if other people abided to that mentality then I lost votes because of it you know what I'm saying so if other people came out and they're like oh that guy was really funny but I came out for this person I want to make sure they win I'm not going to vote for him I don't know if other people had that mentality but it's seemingly because it was like they didn't discuss it they just both did what they did yeah and and then afterwards we're like oh yeah i had that same thought and i saw so I, I got i feel like there had to be other people in the audience maybe not everybody but there definitely had to be some people probably there that were like we came out for this person we want to make sure we don't give our vote to someone else that might beat them you know what i mean so i was still one vote away i don't know mm. i don't know what that means maybe they all thought you didn't stand a chance and so they voted for you because they thought that their vote would in that case, not go against the person they wanted to vote yeah, for. Yeah, I just, I'm like, you just, gotta consider that, man. Just, just vote for who you think is funny. I'm just kidding. Just vote for who you think is funny. But, uh, yeah, man. So I'm, uh, I definitely, I've never advanced in the comedy contest ever, not once. Yeah, but like, you had a lot of experience in New York doing stand up. What did you learn there that you brought back with you that you still use today? Um, I learned how to perform for a small crowd or an unfavorable crowd. And by unfavorable, I mean <clears throat> an open mic where pretty much everybody there in the audience, and I use quotation marks on that, uh, is just there also to go up at the open mic. So they're, I, I, I use the word oh, comedians yeah. Yeah. very loosely here, yes. but they're also comedians. Yes. A I use that with myself as well. Comedians. I, yeah. I use that with myself as well. Cause I don't, some days I don't feel like a comedian, but you know, I've been paid. I've had to put it on my taxes before. And so not yeah. this past year, but, um, so working against those like odds stacked against you as far as doing well, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you have to like really push it and really be bringing something good and bringing something that's, you know, well, uh, crafted, yep. you know, if you're coming out with some loose material that you haven't really worked on, you haven't really hashed out, you haven't really, what I would call well, really not even me. This is a Rogan thing, but uh, the beats of the bit—it's a good way to to phrase it because you know there'll be beats, so yeah, punchlines, whatever. Stuff you haven't workshop, yeah. Or so something, you know, the way to craft a joke is different for different people. Some uh, punchlines are different. Some are based on surprise. That's really what it is—is is a violation of expectation. You know that people think you're going a one way, and you turn it, and then it's like, oh, huh. like you're laughing. So I'm always thinking that's the best kind of laugh because that's the involuntary laughter. I don't want, I don't want a choice. Yeah. There is a such thing as pity laughs or not even just pity laughs, but like going in the spirit of the moment laughs. Right. Where maybe I didn't think that was that funny, but I'm going to laugh because it's the spirit of the moment. So this is interesting. One time I actually broke it down and I was like, what is laughter? Oh, I've really thought about that a lot. Yeah. What is what laughter? causes it? What causes so, it? It's a when it's, it's a, a defense response, mechanism. It's yes. a defense mechanism. It's, it's a physiological response. I mean, your it's, body like yep. percussively pushes air through your lungs, it's, and it's a ha. ha it's a it's ha, a nerve. Ha, ha. It's a release of tension building up, building up by nerves. So, like, I would think laughter. There's a cause for it, though. Like, so yeah. So we go back to like uh, our when we were apes. Here was the way that I, if you believe that, explained what? it. Why is she calling? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, so here's what I wanted to say. Here's how I explained it. Laughter is the sudden understanding of something unexpected. Mm -hmm. 
but the sudden understanding of something unexpected. Whenever you come to an immediate realization of something that you didn't see coming, it produces this physiological response. It's this release of anxiety where you were led on a journey and you're expecting one end result and you're given another. Right. You immediately make sense of it and your body's response is laughter. Right. And But the thing is, too, is that going in deeper on that is like you're what I would call lighting a fuse with a premise. So if an audience, like I almost want the audience to feel nervous for me for a minute for to like set up the punchline mm-hmm. and they don't know where it's going. They don't know if it's going to work. They don't know if this is the first time I've ever said this. And that's kind of the artistry of it is creating in the illusion that it is the first time you said it, even when it's the you know 500th time you've said it, but then they're a little scared for you. So, that tension builds in them and whenever you hit the punchline and it is funny, then it gives them that permission to release the tension, release uh-huh. that kind of built up like, oh, you know, because they're, they're kind of nervous for me. So that nerve, those building up nerves over the course of the fuse going until it hits the bomb, the punch, Interesting. is like them, then it gives them the freedom. So it's like a, it's like you said, it's a physiological release of that like nervousness for mm-hmm. me, that tension that's built so that then they can have that freedom now to laugh. Yeah. And that's that's triggered by the violation of the expectation, I think. Right. So. And the violation of the expectation, I also work with that in magic. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, a lot of times... In a lot of ways, magic response, is like comedy. Right. If I've you think about laughter. Look over here. This is like, for me, it's my words. For you, it's your illusion. But... You know, look over here, but while you're thinking that, that this is going the way, I'm doing something over here that you don't know. I do something and then that when is it, unexpected. when the give happens, they're like, ah! Yeah. You know, like, it's like uh, And sometimes amusement. when I do the reveal, people laugh. And sometimes yeah. I'll even start my I've show I've seen people freak out by on you. It's saying, hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious. Well, sometimes I'll start my show by saying, it's okay to laugh about this, because especially when I do magic for kids, mm-hmm. they have a more like natural response or like mm-hmm. an innocent response. Like whereas, if you suck, like, they're going to tell you. <laughs> well, here's what I mean by that. Like when you do magic for a kid, they'll be like, oh my gosh, wow. Or like, oh, what, how did you do that? Like adults will say like, was there a shoelace up your leg? Is the card in your sleeve? How did, mm-hmm. Tell me how you did it. Yeah. Tell me how you did that. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's not fun. Yeah. You're taking the joy out of it. Speaking of that, when you've, as you've become a better and better magician and you've learned these, you know, sleight of hand things and like, is it, does that, how does, does it feel for, for you? Like, oh man, this is like, I was so, this is so cool. Now I just know how it's done. And, or is there still like a, you know, here's how I would answer that question is that whenever I watch other magicians perform, yeah, I do know how the tricks are being done. Even but if there's it's like something within the way talent. that it's performed. Exactly. That, that it's the showmanship you. and the performance that I appreciate. And here's an analogy. Is that like, do you think a guitarist enjoys going to see Eric Clapton? Hell yeah. Even yeah. more so maybe. They might appreciate what it takes to perform that guitar solo. So just because they're a guitarist, it doesn't ruin all guitar music for them. So right. for me, like as a magician, whenever I watch other magicians, it doesn't ruin it for me that I know the fundamentals of magic. Yeah. Now, nine times out of ten, I can't perform the trick that they're performing, although like I know where the steel or the ditch or the palm techniques are. I know the fundamentals, mm-hmm. but I can't perform most of the magic that even I see like on yeah. shows like America's Got Talent and stuff. Those guys are in a level 
even above me. And I got to appreciate that too. So no, it doesn't ruin it for me, even when I know how the magic's done. Now, the fact that I know my own magic tricks kind of takes the joy out of it. But whenever I perform it for someone who's seeing it for the first time and I get their reaction, that's what keeps fueling my fire. Right. It's kind of like getting a laugh on a new joke. Yeah. It just like ignites something where I want more of that. Right. I love magic because it's the only art form where the intention is to deceive the audience. The goal is to get you to question your reality. Mm-hmm. It's unlike painting or music where your goal is to get you to like listen or to view and maybe contemplate or maybe appreciate. Uh, my goal is to get you to see something you know is impossible, but you witness it happen and you say, what the fuck? Right. And then everybody's just running through their mind trying to figure out how you did it. Yeah. <clears throat> And you know, I'll, I'll say this too, is that most of the time there is a very simple explanation and the way that people think that the magic is done is way overcomplicated. Right. It's never the way that it's actually done. Yeah. There's well, something it's funny way too, easier going on. You know, I've, I've obviously seen you, you've, you've shown me a lot of your tricks and mm-hmm. how they're done and stuff. And so I know some, not all yeah. of them, but a lot of them I do. Yeah, I've let you in. Yeah. And so... It's interesting. It's funny to me when I see people that haven't seen it and I'm sitting there like knowing how you're exactly how you're doing it. Right. And I'm like, I'll be there. And you get mad at me sometimes because I'm like, yeah, it's. You know, he does like, this all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's like, you know, that's like the same thing when you're with a woman for a long time. It's like she knows all your, yeah. all your tricks, yeah. all your, you know, she knows that she, she's got you figured. So it's like, it's kind of like I'm like sitting there like, yeah, I know, I know what you're doing. And I'm not impressed. <laughs> and they're losing their shit over there. They're like yeah. about to like. Kill you because they think you're Satan. Yeah, I've had people lose like, sleep. No, no, over it, it was it was really it was just this and that, and that's how it was done. Yeah, you're, you're making this way bigger than it should be. But yeah, people get people get freaked out sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's hilarious because it's like you really think honestly, there's not something to that. Like you really right. like, come on, like really, yeah, like there's there's certain magicians. There's a few magicians I feel like that are like the best of the best that do right. stuff where you're like what the fuck how did they just i'm sure are right. there are do you still have that even after having oh yeah for sure like there's magicians where you're like what the fuck was that how did he fucking like it's crazy sometimes yeah but um, i don't think i think that's you know the best of the best guys whereas there's a lot of stuff that i'm not saying what you do is is technically easy but it's you know for them it's nothing they've been doing that they probably yeah. a lot of these guys like probably started when they were like most people might five years old view my magic and say like oh my god like you're so Sometimes amazing. magic like, sounds like you, tape, you Taylor. You should uh, <laughs> go on like a show where America's Got Talent or something. And uh, I don't think they realize that those magicians that are on shows like that are leagues above me. And in yeah. the magic world, I'm just on the first rung. Yeah. I mean, what I perform might look amazing, but the technical skill required to perform my yeah. level of magic is intermediary at best. Yeah. Although yeah. the the result the reveal I mean, is amazing the the fact that you can admit that is good because oh yeah you know you you're a pretty honest person about like knowing your limitations yeah. and knowing what you know okay I'm, yeah I'm, I'm I'm decent like that's me like as a drummer mm-hmm. like yeah like I'm a okay drummer I'm mm-hmm. not terrible you know and if I practice and I get my chops going like I'm I'm decent but mm-hmm. I'm no Mike Gomez shout out DMG earlier episode <laughs> so uh, there's literally he's, only he's one thing in my life that I can say that I'm an expert at and that's piano. piano. And they say that you're an expert at something when you put in 10,000 10, hours, 10, hours yeah. of practice into something. Right. And that for me is piano. Do you got something that you're an expert at? I mean, 
I've spent probably 10,000 hours waiting at open mics. <laughs> <laughs> You're an expert. <laughs> I'm an expert in waiting at open yeah. mics. That's why I can't watch comedy anymore. I just can't. I don't watch comedy at all anymore. Like very rarely. I only watch like my favorite, like Chappelle comes yeah, out with like a special. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. You know, Burr's new special, you know, obviously. And there's some comedians and most comedians, if it's a special, if it's a big name, I'll give them five minutes. I'll give it, I'll, I'll, I'll start the special five minutes. If you get me hooked in five minutes, I'll stay on that. If you don't, then, um, I'm not going to even bother with wasting any more time with it, but that's only like the already, you know, professionals at a general show or open mic. I'm like, I can't sit through this. It's depressing to me. Like, I don't want to see it. And not only that, I don't want it. I've had in the past, you know, ideas come to me that I thought were original ideas, but it was like, Oh no, wait, that was kind of a trigger from something I heard somebody else say that was something I had thought, but maybe there was uh, a, okay. but it's even that I'm like, it's too close for me to want to do it because I don't want it to be, yeah. ev- it's a derivative thing and I don't want it to be that. I want my shit yeah. to be original creativity that I have. That's actually a good point. I hadn't thought of that, that, um, a good reason to avoid watching like other open micers is that you don't want some of their ideas to spark an idea that you think is your own original. Yeah. And sometimes idea. it, sometimes it doesn't happen for like months. Yeah. You'll hear somebody, I did that with a joke that I thought was an original joke. And I found out a little later from a comedian, a random dude. I'm not, I don't really know him. I knew I had seen him at some point in the past. Wait, so did he call And he was you like, out? that's my bit. Really? And, and then it was like, I thought about it and I'm like, oh fuck. You know, I think maybe I did remember hearing that. And I didn't, and that's the, that's where you fall into the creativity, especially in comedy. You know, you've got you've really only got you know a limited set of kind of oh, parameters yeah. of like ideas that are people are talking about. Chord progressions, exactly, and they have to be repeated. Yeah, exactly. And so there's little variations in within it, but in you know you've only got so many topics, so much subject matter that will probably be talked about. Relationships start- and airplane food, Cody. yeah. Yeah, relationships fucking and airplane food. Relationships, uh, but yeah, no. So what's the deal with that? I don't want to stupid. I don't want to be derivative, and I don't want to be. I want my ideas to be really, truly coming from that true impulse place of mm-hmm. originality. That is something where the comedians I admire the most are the ones that have the most unique voices, the most mm-hmm. perspective that's really, truly unmatched. There's nobody. You know, you see, now, you see people that are like, oh, that person's kind of like this or that, like that band, like I was saying with the Hooch. Yeah. That's like why I appreciated the Hooch because the Hooch was kind of like an original voice yeah. that I would liken to like in a comedy sense. But like when George Carlin comes along or Bill Hicks comes along and they're like or nobody Or Patrice else. O'Neill comes yeah. along. Yeah. They just, they have a voice. They have a voice and they have a perspective. And yeah, they always have something that's to why, say. That's why what you miss and what you want to hear from your favorite comedians isn't old material. It's like if something's going on in the world... I want to hear their, their perspective, perspective on, on this. Yeah. You know, that's why that last Burr special paper tiger was so good because all that, all that stuff was like stuff that I've been contending with. And in the mm-hmm. comedy world, it's like exacerbated times a hundred over the regular, you know, just well, similar social with media sphere. He, he's got but, a pulse on what's going on. But yeah, but it was like the, all of that was something I've been just kind of like, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's like a, pushing back against mm-hmm. me pushing back against it because it's like 
when you get into a point where people are telling you your perspective isn't valid because you're white, it's like, fuck you. You have nothing. You have no idea about my life or what I've gone through or the tragedies or the victories or, you know, how easy it's been for me or how hard it's been for me. Because, oh, just because I'm white, life isn't hard. I have an entire half of my family that's all living in trailers. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me that just because I'm white, all of a sudden that meant I was born into this silver platter, you know, put privilege. on a silver platter. Privilege. Privilege. I mean, yeah, there are, the, the odds are if you're white, it's more likely that you probably came from that sort of background, but it doesn't mean you did. Yeah. And that's the thing I get mad at is that it's like diminishing my perspective. And it's also like, you're not realizing you're doing the exact thing you claim that I have been doing and that you're reacting to. So it's like, you're saying I have, I've been minimizing your perspective. I've been telling you your opinion doesn't really matter. We don't care what you think. That's what you're saying I've been doing. And then now you're doing that to me as a retaliation. Eye for an eye? Like, what do you, don't, didn't you read the Bible? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's one of those things that people are just, the cognitive dissonance that have, people have is like, so they're doing that to, tell to me. me this. Or not to me, but. Whenever yeah. like a joke is born in your mind, are you recognizing something funny, something true, or both? Um, What's the overall feeling? So... It's like um, there's always some sort of truth in it. There has to be. It's, I funny, think. it's funny because it's true. Right. But the comedic exaggeration is your artistic liberty. So, for instance, I've been working on this bit about drinking and driving. You've seen this bit. In fact, I think you recorded that set at the Blind Tiger from like way back. I've, I've grown that bit. Right. That bit has grown. When from, you're okay to drive. Right. And so lately I've been doing it, but I've been pre, you know, whatever, prefixing, pre-whatever, uh, saying, prefacing, I've been doing a lot of drinking and driving and then people started laughing and I'm like, I'm glad you think that was funny because my riders were not amused, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) so it's like, there, there you go. That's something that I never, it's not true. I've never driven Uber drunk, but are you saying that you're preaching satire? That's my exaggeration. So that's where you get your exaggeration. Yeah. And that's funny. And then like talking about, uh, the legal limit and how that's a weird thing to me. Cause it's like the government saying, you know, you can, you can have, have a, a couple, <laughs> you know, but then it's like, that's why it's, it's difficult to gauge. I'm like, uh, so that's why recently I just started carrying a breathalyzer in my car as part of the court order. And, you know, <laughs> so I like add that. So it's like, that's, I don't have a breathalyzer in my car, even yeah. if I did, you know, it's a, so it's, it's taking the liberty of like making, saying something that's not really true, but is based in maybe somewhere. And there's a true, Impulse. But are so. you saying that it starts with something that you realize is funny and then you find a kernel of truth in that? Or do you start with something that's true and then work out a way to make that truth funny? Which one is it? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure I exactly am following your line of reasoning on what you're asking me, but let me I'll tell let me you rephrase that. it another way. Like whenever you first think of a joke and to you it's funny are you thinking of something that's true and then you write it into a funny joke or are you thinking of something that to you is funny and then you have to try to find the message in that funny um okay so i think that there's like do you work forwards or backwards do you work towards the truth or do you work from the truth backwards to a joke how does that work Okay, I'll give you an example of a bit All right. that I thought of. Um, it was 
I was in New York, living in New York, and uh, at the time still. And Joanna and I were on the subway platform. And uh, I remember I was on the subway platform at my station, getting ready to head to the city. And we were standing there, and on her cheek, she had an eyelash, right? And I saw the eyelash, right? And at, mm-hmm. for the first time in my for the first time when I had looked at an eyelash, for some reason, I didn't look at it as an eyelash. I looked at it as a piece of hair. It, you know, and, and so something triggered there and I was like, wait a minute. Because I knew everybody has that whole eyelash thing. Like you find an eyelash, it's like a special thing, right? Like this is something I've had, I've heard people say for since I was a kid. People like pressing it in their fingers. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? That's not unique to me, right? Like the eyelash thing. Whichever finger it ends up on. Yeah, exactly. So, and I remember that, but I never thought of an eyelash as a piece of hair it is though that's what it is it's hair you just i don't know for some reason it's so small that i just you just don't mm-hmm. it didn't process in my brain as hair ever and then all of a sudden i saw it and for some reason that day i was like oh that's hair and i'm like and i was like man i know people do this i'm like that's the only piece of hair that people find magical like like and then i thought and then so so that was the impulse thought and then then I'm like, okay, let's start, let's let's go down this line of reasoning. What about other hair in the body? And then I, you know, of course, naturally went to a pube, and so the pube thing. And then so that was funny because it's like uh, I wouldn't be in the shower, just like you know, like oh my, like finding random hair like on the bar of soap, like oh my god, look, it's a pube, like you have to take it, <laughs> and then <laughs> make a wish. Yeah, and so and then that's funny, and then then doing the act out was the more adding that that real okay. painting of the picture so but i'm like to me because when i do when i say talk about a girl you know i i say chicks will find their eyelash and you know make a wish and then they'll blow it off their finger like Whoa. so i did that and then i thought pube doing the same thing and i'm like oh my god it's pube like you know like yeah Whoa. and then that got a laugh but then i'm like i thought about pubes and i'm like pubes normally don't come off of your finger very easily or get off the bar of soap very easily so wouldn't it be funny event. if i did a second one like where it's like i blow it off and the people think and then they think it's done, and then I go, you know, and I it blow it a second time, and yeah. then that's what really pops it. Yeah, and so, but okay, that was all the so, impulse thought of that joke right. was. Let's go back to seeing that. an eyelash on go back Joanna's cheek. So, to me, that explanation says that the first thing that happens in your mind is that you realize something true, which mm-hmm. you realized that, but an something that wasn't hair. something that's not always very readily evident. Right. Right. So. That's like, not readily evident. People don't necessarily look at an eyelash and think hair. They don't think pube for sure, <laughs> you know, but it is in a way that well, idea. A lot of like great comedy hair. is something that I've said to myself, wow, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but that's true. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why when you see a comedian do a great joke, that is seemingly a simple thing. It's something broken down into such a simplistic thing that's so hilarious that, it's that, really that you're like that you're like yeah it's how the obvious. fuck did i not see right. that that i should have seen that that's yeah absolutely Presented as a way that's so i think that's what i'm going so for like is you started with something that you realized a truth mm-hmm. and then you but that's only done by digging followed it that that's truth done by through. digging down deeper because right. the surface is the easy one right you know that's the so after what you Jared do from then subway went then to jail everybody made right. the footlong joke that's yeah. the that's the you haven't even barely. So then tell me if service. this is right. So once you realize that truth, you take like the rules and everything that surrounds that truth and you just push that out a little bit further. And I, you use that truth to then build your premise mm-hmm. and then have a reveal at the end, which is something that's unexpected. But yeah. I think it starts with that kernel of truth. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. So I've, 
I only recently figured out really, I think what my writing process is and how I write. So basically I can break it down in, in this way. When I come up with an idea, it starts as basically like a root idea, which may or may not even have validity. It may just be something that's gonna pass in and out. And my filter, as I've done stand-up like over a longer period of time, has gotten better at like knowing, oh, that's that's dumb. Recognizing like, don't, don't do that. Dumb. those thoughts that you right. want to hold on to. Right. Versus, okay, maybe there's something there. And like I'll so it starts with does it pass that first filter? And then once it gets to pass that filter, then I'm like, okay. So I'll think on it. And then if I'm writing, it's like, I'm just going to, th- I'm going to cycle through the thoughts in my brain. And then if, if a line comes up and I'm like, oh, that could be funny, write it down, but not everything. So it starts with like the base idea. The base idea has to pass that first filter. If that first filter lets it go through the second one, then if I'm going through it and I'm like, I'm thinking and I'm like, okay, that's a funny line. And I'll write that down. And then it's like, that's, those are the beats. And then, yeah. And then even those, but I'm like, back up a little not, bit though. Work, so like my filters just gotten better at, at if getting to, it gets through that first filter in the moment, whenever you think of it, how hard is that to remember that specific thought? Because it's, you must sometimes let it pass and then can't remember it. Right. What do you do? If it comes back, then you know it had value. If you love it, then let it go. If it comes back, Seriously. it was meant to be. Seriously. Like, if I think of an, of, of, if I have an idea that comes to me and then I lose it and I didn't document it. But then. then I, there might be times where I'm like, oh, fuck, that was good. There, there, I, I know I had something good. And I didn't write it down. So now I don't have it anymore. Fuck. It's like, if it comes back to me a second time, then I'm like, okay. Must have been good enough the first time to remember a second time. Right. And if I'm in a moment where something hits me, there's times where I'll be like, I stop everything and I'm like, I need to write this down. Because if I don't, I won't remember it, but there's something here. So... Like and in those the moments, ideas do you that turn come into to your like mind that you're like, there's something repeating itself, and you're like, okay, I saw this once, and then I saw it again mm-hmm. in a different circumstance. Okay, yeah, this is this is, has validity. So when you know it's got potential, what what do you go to a notebook? Do you go to the notes app on your phone? How do you do you jot it down like in a recorded memo? I mean, it depends on the situation, but I would prefer to physically write it down. I think physically writing it down, even over digital notes or typing, mm-hmm. there's something about literally physically writing it down that has some sort of different like impact on my, you know, psychological just Yeah. Uh the, I had to the guess, way I'd I remember say like, it. yeah, it creates a memory of you physically writing it down. Because you're period. physically you're creating a physical thing yeah. that exists. Like so, if we have an idea, like a like thought if you becomes have, you have tangible right now, you when you write it down. Right like yeah. If we, if we're talking and then we put it on a piece of paper, now it's ta- now it's literally tangible. Right. So it there's almost a psychological, and you saw this when you've been to my spot where I write shit down, and I'm like, this 
transmutes an idea into a physical, tangible thing. This is on a tangible board. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I wrote it. So, yeah, I think digitally, even digitally, dude, like, cause I've, I've, I mean, I'll show you a log of notes in my phone over the course of years of ideas, but there's something about me physically actually writing it that something just clicks where I, it, I don't know. I, I say I'm more likely to remember it. I don't know if I am, but I can go back to it and, you know, I have my notebook and it's like, this is my, you know, this is my fucking, do you have that journal. notebook this with is you? My Bible. Yeah. Show it to me. Let's see it. Uh, it looks what does like it look Joker's like? Notebook. <laughs> uh, was that I, before or after the Joker came out? Um, that you realized it looked like, okay. I mean, did you buy it after the fact or did you already own that notebook? And then you recognized it in the movie. I mean, when he says he's an aspiring, he's like, I don't know if you know this, but I'm pursuing a career in stand-up comedy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck, that hit hard. Because I was like, ugh. That's what I'm doing. And I'm like, so his struggles in that movie resonated with me in a way that I don't think a lot of people understand. Like, I don't think a lot of people can really fathom what it's like to deal with that rejection day in, day out, year after year after year. And so <clears throat> when I saw The Joker, like it hit me in this way that it's crazy. I just, I can't describe because it was like, Joaquin Phoenix is a fucking master. Phenomenal. He's a master. Absolutely. And you could tell he really put himself in that place. And whenever... I, so I think Heath Ledger's Joker is one of the best acting roles Are I've ever seen. Are we on this seen. now? Are we comparing the two Jokers? You can't. Because, and I realize this because I went into the Joker. I went into, is it the Joker or is it Joker? Joker. It's just Joker. Yeah, no the. Okay, so I went into Joker thinking like, fuck, nobody's going to match Heath. But it's a totally different story. This is, Heath Ledger's Joker is after already Batman. Like, it's already, uh-huh. in a, it's in a, it's in a world where... He already already, is. He already was. Yeah. So Joker is an origin story. It's the transformation. It's an origin story. It's seeing a guy go mad. And you get to see the arc of the Joker. Yeah. And I'm like, I I can't take away from either performance because I think both performances are fucking phenomenal. But also somebody said, like, it seems like that role brings out the best in actors. It does. For some reason. But except for one, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> to be honest, that's because he tried to go to meth with it. He tried to manufacture the Joker. Right. It was. It's like I think his. His like his heart was in the right place about what he wanted to do with the role, but he didn't understand the depth. Right, that were necessary to really bring out that role, and even like, if I rank, if I'm ranking, I I don't know that I can rank Joaquin over Heath. I think they're both one A, one B, or you know, whichever way you slice it, however you're feeling that day. Those two are, and then Nicholson. Yeah, 
Yeah, don't Nicholson's underneath Nicholson. him, but mm-hmm. Nicholson, as great as that was, it didn't touch what Heath and Joaquin did with that. But those were two different characters. Those were two different points of the arc that is the Joker. So you already saw a fully formed Joker in the With Dark Heath Knight. Ledger, exactly. Yeah. Like he was already the Joker. When I've he made walks that in, point before, exactly. Aha, 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 aha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought my, my jokes, jokes were, were bad. bad. You know? <laughs> and you're like, he's already the Joker. You want to see a magic what trick? What Joaquin is, is at the beginning of the movie, he's just a guy. Mm. And then you see him go crazy based on all this shit that happens to him. And then you're like, okay, now I see the arc from the fucking genesis of it because this was just a guy who's had a weird relationship with his mother. And you, <clears throat> it just digs into these deeper elements of what creates this person versus when we first see Heath, when we first see the Joker in The Dark Knight, he's already fully formed. He's already right. the Joker. Right. So it's a different story. That's why I don't think you can compare them. And look at it this way, too. Heath Ledger had about 15 minutes of screen time. Whereas, yeah, 15 minutes altogether. Impactful. But let's look at Joaquin Phoenix, who we got to see over two straight hours of his character. Dude, I'm telling you, watching that movie for me was difficult. Like I, How many times have you seen it? like... I watched the pirated version at home like twice since I've seen the actual movie. But when I saw the actual movie, it was like, ugh. Like, I was just like, ugh. Like, I just felt it hurts a little bit. that angst yeah. that he felt. The One of those scenes in, in the movie, I'm 99% sure he's at Dangerfields. Because of oh, like, is that where that scene shot? You know what I'm talking about? With yeah. The lights at Dangerfields, they they still have those lights on the tables. Right. Just like in the movie. And it took me the second watch to be like, oh, fuck, that's Dangerfields. I perform You recognize the venue. I perform there. Wow. So I see that and I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, it's just, it just touches close to home. Yeah. In this way that, you know, you've seen me from the start, dude. You know what I've done and how long I've been fighting on this and doing this and yeah. pursuing this probably in a, you know, just uh, like stupid attempt to like feel something. And I see like Hicks and shit and like, you know, these guys that I'm like, I've so admire and I'm like, I want to be this, but it's like the reality is dude, you're just constantly dealing with rejection all the time. Yeah. All the time. And having to, be like really examining what do I think? Why do I think this? And is this rooted in something that's deeper than just one show? Like nobody's going to deter me from this view because this is, this is rooted in some deep shit. And I, I struggle with what is my view? What is my perspective? And like, I think a good sign of like, a successful comedian like Bill Hicks is like, whenever the audience leaves the show, are they still thinking about your message? Sure, they they probably enjoyed the show. They probably laughed. They probably got their money's worth out of the ticket. But when they leave your show, are they still thinking about your message? And that's powerful. There's yeah, 
It is, but also you ask yourself, there's something about ego in that, right? So like if I, like if we create something and we need validation for our creation, then was it really a creation for the sake of creating or was it a creation for the sake of approval? So if I say something, I'm like, I want this, I want this to be just known. I don't want it to be, um, I, it, it's just right or it's just like you're pandering, you're trying to get a reaction mm-hmm. and I don't want to try. Like, I just want to say what come, like I want to channel, I want to figure out how to tune myself in mm-hmm. and then just channel that out. And then it's like, it's self-evident. Like I played you this set. I just had a funniest comic in Texas. I think that was a great set mm. because I just, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. Like, like I've reached a point where I'm like, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to do a contest and people are going to like me. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, whatever, man, I think whatever. Bo, Bo Burnham said it really well. He has a song where he says, part of me hates you. Part of me needs you. I want to say what I think, but not care what you think about it. And I don't think that I can handle this right now. I don't think that I can handle this right now. Dude, yeah. it's fabulous. I mean, there, there's yeah. there's another brilliant mind. He at, shines a light on a young on, age on the thoughts that you he have just that already you're like, has I can't that say perspective. And yeah, that's yeah. what's impactful. Yeah, because he's it's authenticity. Authenticity is 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 so admired because well in two ways he can be authentic which is one but number two is like how how can i be funny about this so like he figures out a way to like bring it back to the audience that he's speaking to because like it's like we all have these thoughts we all have these like feelings like oh i don't like my thoughts are dumb and i don't have any good ideas and it's like well you know what do they say? Even a broken clock is right twice, twice a, day. a day. So, you know, maybe maybe that's how much it takes. Maybe that's how, how much you have to cycle through yeah. to get the good thoughts. But the filter gets more uh, fine over yeah. time. So, you know, what I hear Tom Segura and Christina P. say all the time is that if you want to be good, you just can't stop. Like, you won't start by being good and... The way to get good is just to not stop. It's, dude, um, the way to get good is to fail. Yeah. A lot. I think that's another way to say that, yeah. It's it's to put yourself out there and have an idea that, Mm -hmm. you know, may or may not be good. And really, I think what it comes down to is like, the longer you do it, the more fine-tuned your, you know, eye becomes in terms of like identifying a good idea versus a bad idea. Yeah. So if I do it a lot, like if you write a lot, if you create music a lot or whatever, like you know, oh, that's not that's that's like that's that's derivative or that's that's not that doesn't doesn't feel yeah i can kind of relate that to piano you just know i have those feelings sometimes it's like and um there may be something in the idea that's good but maybe the 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 fucking fully formed version of the idea at first is not 
like what you know is good. So you're like, okay, there's something here, but I know that it's not right. And I think eventually the point would be to, you know, become like a Dave Chappelle where you're just so in tune that you're natural at it. And everything that you say is on point and on topic and relevant and on the pulse of the nation. But he skirts like these controversial issues all the time. He says things that sometimes people don't want to hear, but it's still true. So I wanted to ask, like, what's your opinion about skirting controversial subjects in stand-up comedy is that a yes or a no or is it like the right time the wrong time what's your opinion um if i think of something that i feel strongly about then i can't let myself be deterred by the thought that maybe people are gonna like judge me in a certain way because i'm saying something about this like right. it's more like is this a good idea or a bad idea mm. so it, that is has like what people's thoughts of that have zero bearing on if i think an idea is good or bad if i think an idea is good or bad it's more like i'm just like oh no that's too easy that's like i could just that's like the that's not even low-hanging fruit that's fruit that already fell off the tree and it's on the ground you know like that's <laughs> so if I have an idea come in, I'm like, I have to figure out how I'm going to get to a place on that. Either I'm going to just not even talk about it or I'm going to figure out where I need to dig deeper to get to what I really think. The truth. The truth. and But also, like, there's a first impulse thought and then you're like, nope, that's not it. That's not the, that's not the joke. That's just the 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 spark. Yeah, the thread to the get spark. to the joke. But if the spark sure. If the spark comes in and you're like that first impulse thought, you're like, "Oh yeah, that's the joke." Nope, it's not the joke. That's just the impulse. Mm -hmm. So dig deeper and you're like, "Okay, where does this go?" And in the writing process, dude, sometimes that takes months, sometimes yeah. that takes years to figure out. You know, I this this joke I just told you about, uh, there's some things men are better at. Right? Yeah. I thought of that joke eight years ago. Eight years ago. And when I first did that, <laughs> the joke, not in good taste. Some things guys are better at than women. Like rape. I said that. But that's that's like, exactly. That's, Yikes. that's like, mm, but then I said, suicide. That's still your, that still violates your expectation. Mm -hmm. But it's more like it's more palatable. real, yeah. But it's also more real because rape is easy. That's an easy. That's easy. That's like that's the lowest denominator of of a joke. And I've seen guys say that joke. I've literally seen other comedians do that joke, and they're like, "Dude, there's some things guys are better at than women, like hand jobs." And I'm like, "Like I'm better at giving myself a hand job." And I'm like, "I had that thought, but that was the easy thought. What is the more evolved thought? Suicide. It rings more true." It rings more true. So, so what you're saying is if you have a thought that's so true, doesn't matter how controversial it is. Well, it might sit back here for years and there's like your brain's like there's something there, but you just don't know what it is yet. But there is something there. So like I have all these ideas that I'm like I've been trying to figure out for 10 years of doing comedy how to make 
the idea that God and government are synonymous. Funny, because it's the truth, right? Like we equate God and government in this weird kind of way that uh, both are authoritarian. Like authoritarian, yeah. Like you don't question it, right? Like, uh-huh. yeah, like there's some things that just you're just not supposed to know, kind yeah, of deal. Like the Ten Commandments are law. Yeah, and that's there's a reason that that governments use religion because it's a very powerful tool mm-hmm. to. Like we don't need religion anymore to keep the masses in line. The mass we have democracy. We have we have laws. We have we have, you know, governance now. But checks and well, until Trump came along, checks balances. and balances. Yeah. <laughs> but like we, um, we still associate this power to God that gets conflated with government like in God we trust is on our money. It's on our money. And used to not be. Yeah. 1950s is when it got We put it on there. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because we like people want to believe that other people have the best intentions for them. That's naive. That's, that's dumb. They don't. People want to fuck you. There's only, I have, I could count on one hand, probably, the amount of friends in my life that I believe would go to war with me, right? And you want to believe that people are innately good and, and people want to believe in themselves that they're innately good, but then they get put in a situation where they have to like make a decision and then the, you would find out, oh, they don't really give a fuck about you at all. Now, there's a few people like, like you and I I got put in a situation where I could fuck you. I would never do it because you're my fucking dude. Like I said, you're one of my go to war friends. Thanks for saying that. But, and I mean it, but it's like, that's, that's something that we, I think idealistically want to believe that other people in our lives are like innately wanting us to succeed. But really it's like, yeah, I want you to succeed until your success somehow in, inhibits my mm-hmm. progress until your success tramples me yeah and then all of a sudden it's like i don't fucking give a shit about your success excuse me i have a problem with that sir yeah you know whenever people bring this subject up I always give an example to them where i can make them question their own ethics and morals and you think that'd be a hard thing to do but it's actually easier than you think and, you know, it's just like a mental exercise, but I'll say to a person who thinks like they're extremely moral, who have like great ethics, I'll say, okay, well, most people would say stealing is bad, killing is bad, robbing is bad. But if we're in a situation where resources are limited, we're in this apartment, let's say you are in your house with your mother who's a diabetic and she needs insulin and gets what? The next door neighbor has maybe a year's worth of a supply of insulin. You have none. If you don't go get that for your mother, she will die. What do you do? Is it okay to rob that person to save your mother? Is it okay to rob, steal, and then in essence kill that person? Well, let's, let's because go back. you want the insulin for your mother. Let's go back to Heath. I mean, at some point, yes. Let's go back to Heath. Oh, this is Let's a perfect... Let's cut you up into little pieces. Yeah. Then we'll see how loyal a hungry dog really is. Yeah. You know, you're like... Yeah. Yep. He had some great lines. 
And those are true. They're, it's it's one of those things that you don't really know who you are until, until you get tested. put in the worst of worst situations. Right. That's where you figure out who you really are. Yep. It's not easy that. times that really show people's character. No. It's only the struggle breeds greatness. It's it's how do you react in those moments because Completely. not all people are created equal and some people will throw you to the dogs and some people will do whatever they can to hold on and make sure even if it means their own demise. Yeah. Like they're that willing to give up their own life for the person that they care about so if you're in a situation like you don't really know who someone is until times get tough dude it's that's the true character and you know i've seen it in my life and it's it's disheartening but you're also like okay i know what i don't want to be i don't want to be that person but also it's like if you and this is stealing from Jordan Peterson, but it's like you have to recognize that that monster does exist within you too, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you could be capable of doing things that you were like, I would never do that. And then you get put in a situation where it's like do or die. And it's like, I might do that. You know, like yeah. nobody thinks they're going to eat another person until they're stranded on the fucking mountain. Donner, in the, party of five. Donner. What? What, Party of five. What, what's the 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 frontier story? They they got stranded on a mountain. That's the one, Donner. Is it Donner? Yeah. That's the, you're not talking about Dahmer. You're talking about the Donner Party that was yeah. like on the mountain and they ended up yeah. resulting to cannibalism yes. because they were stranded. Exactly. In the middle of like a snowstorm. Yeah, it was so, somewhere near like Utah, I believe. Yeah. And Dude, that, they got stranded. It's giving me chills just talking about this because yeah. it's like that's the reality. It's like, you know, you get put in that situation. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to kill somebody to eat them, but they died. And you're like, yeah, I mean, they're dead. They're not getting any more alive. It's sustenance. Meat takes on a whole new meaning when it comes from a human being. Yeah. Right. We're, we're meat eaters and we detach ourselves from that. But if you're eating a human, if nobody told you, think about the difference. Like say you got meat and you didn't know what it was or you were told it was something, but you didn't realize it's like proteins, protein. Yeah. It's like, that's really the reality is we're one bad snowstorm away from eating each other. And there is a line that Heath Ledger says that's close. It's along the lines of that. Yeah, I, I can't think of it, but it's whenever he's got the bombs rigged to each other's boats and they have the mm-hmm. option to press the button right. to kill each other. And, you know, when you put people in that situation, that's when you really see their true colors. Well, and then they don't do it. Right. Like, they won't do it. And and then Batman's like, not everybody's like you. And it's like, oh. Not everyone is like you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, where's I'm Rachel? Christian. I'm Christian Bale. Where's Rachel? <laughs> Did you know that uh, Jack Nicholson warned Heath Ledger about playing Joker? No. He said, be careful. Be careful with this role. This role will fuck you up, buddy. It fucked me up. 
Where did you hear that? Don't dive too that. deeply into it. Well, it's on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> but uh, he's also admitted to it. He said that he had spoken with Heath Ledger uh, as he was developing that character. Mm-hmm. You know, he even went to Jack Nicholson and said, "Like, what's your advice?" Mm-hmm. And this is the advice he gave him. He said, "Tread carefully," because, I mean, this this part people will say like, oh, "Maybe it did, maybe it didn't," but I think like that role had something to do with his eventual death. Heath Ledger? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that, no doubt. That's not no doubt. He died too like far fetched to say. Less than a year after that movie finished. And after that yeah. movie, he was... He locked himself in a hotel depressed. room for a month. He was fucked up. He, he locked was himself in a hotel room for of, a yeah. fucking month. He was on all sorts of like pills and uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety because of what that movie did to him. Yeah. No, yeah. He he sacrificed his life for that role, but he didn't even know it when he was playing the role either, which yeah. is crazy, but that's why... Do you know who walked in and found his body? Olsen? Yeah, one of the Olsen twins. Yeah. But you know, um, Batman wasn't his last movie. He had one other movie of, of Doctor Parnassus. Parnassus. Yeah. yeah, but he was already dead. After like it was a that role was a death sentence. Yeah, he didn't know it, but it was. Yeah, the but, way that they covered their tracks in filming that movie was actually really fascinating because they had just Heath Ledger was was the only character meant to play mm-hmm. Doctor Parnassus, and then Depp. But then he died, and so they rewrote the character, and they cast, I don't know, I think it was up to five different Dr. Parnassus mm-hmm. across the course of the movie, mm-hmm. and where his character changed actors throughout right. the movie. Yeah. And that was their answer to that problem, because they had already produced, like, you know, 20% of the movie mm-hmm. with him in it. And it was just an interesting way to tweak the movie to still make it work. Did you ever see the movie? I did, yeah. Um, I mean, to me, like, it was just a regular role after Joker. You're like, oh, he's just a person. I don't know. A Knight's Tale. Another one. Heath Ledger, A Knight's Tale. Yeah, well. But that just seems regular that's compared one of to those, Joker. That's one of those roles that he came along in this genre. And Ten Things I Hate About You. Like, But nobody had done what he did with that role. Yeah. In that genre. You know, like, as great as Nicholson was in Batman. Makes you wonder, how did he do that? Nobody considered him for Oscar, you know, consideration. So, what Heath did was dig into this place where he really actually became deranged. I think he was literally kind of crazy in that movie because he made himself like that was like his process to get to that point where Mm -hmm. he was like, I'm really trying to put myself in this fucked up headspace. It's like, Hey, just so you know, dude, like you do this, like you might not come back. Like that was uh, a warning. You might not come back, but Nicholson didn't do that character anywhere close to what, Mm -mm. what Heath did. So, and then Joaquin, like you, uh, although I don't, I think Joaquin will come back because I think Joaquin's fucking crazy. Oh, they've already greenlit a Joker too. I know, but Joaquin's like an insane person. Yeah. Dude, Gladiator. Great method actor. Gladiator. Yeah. Commodus. Dude, like you're like, he transformed himself for that role and 
you know, I think it's partially because his brother River died, you know. Yeah, he's got and some then, stuff to call in the early on. 90s. Like he's, yeah. he's had this weird fucking upbringing. You know, and then let's mention Jared Leto for a second because I think this is where Jared Leto messed up is that he recognized what it took for Heath Ledger to get to that spot of like derangement and he tried to force it. He tried to falsely make himself deranged. And everybody's heard like rumors that he mailed used condoms to his co-stars so they would react with like an awkward stance towards him like in person in public Mm -hmm. he sent a rat to the female lead who played his joker counterpart yeah harlan Uh, harley quinn uh played by what's her face um margot robbie yes He sent her a rat, which it was alive. And she ended up actually keeping it as a pet. Yeah. Funny story. But it's too much of like manufactured derangement. Right. And not true insane. Well, Um, it's like that's that's like trying to get solicit a reaction out of other people. Whereas like Ledger just locked himself in a hotel room. He just became. That's crazy shit. Yeah. Like secluding yourself from everything for a month. Like Leto wasn't willing. He, that's that's like taking acid or something. You know, like you're yeah. you're getting you're going out there and you're that's like, I don't up. know what's gonna happen. Yeah, it could get crazy here, and I don't think Leto was really willing to put his fucking mind on the line yeah. enough to like get to that point where he could really get in that place to be that character, and. That's well, real method acting, but also it's like, you're like at the end of it, you're like, like, dude, Heath, was it worth it to to kill to die for this role? He, you know, I mean, you're like, that's the truth. That's the real question. And no wonder Jared Leto was scared shitless to actually commit as much as Heath Ledger did, because look what happened to him. But then you have Joaquin Phoenix come along, and find a way to transform into the Joker. And he has that side of him, just like Heath Ledger did. But man, I guess we'll just have to see how this pans out. Um, I, if he doesn't get nominated for Best Actor, oh, I think he Academy will. Academy Award, it'll be a fucking trap. I guess what I'm saying is, I wonder if he if, doesn't win it. I wonder if the on-screen insanity is going to translate to his off-screen life. I like, think it will. Well, no, I, I think that's... Okay, so that's what happened with Heath Ledger. Right, but so I think Joaquin. What's going to happen with Joaquin Phoenix? Joaquin's already a fucking crazy person. Hey, did you see his Letterman appearance from like years ago? The one where he had like big beard and he yeah, was kind of Yeah, and he was like Letterman. You could tell. You could tell Letterman was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like but, Letterman was legit not right, but, happy with that. Did you know it, that that was for a film? Did you no, fucking no? It wasn't for the Joker, but then or Joker, but then his character Joker on uh, Robert De Niro being basically Letterman on the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see like that. Joaquin actually, that actually is who Joaquin was years ago. Because Letterman, yeah, you could you could tell when but that wasn't real. Yes, it was. That was a character. Who? 
the character that Joaquin Phoenix was playing in that Letterman appearance Bullshit. with the long beard. Bullshit. It was Bullshit. It was a movie. I guarantee you you fucking Google Listen Letterman to, to talk about that shit. Letterman will tell you that this is not what I expected. It's because they didn't tell Letterman. They they tried this method of But like, you actually they tried believe this that, that couldn't of, be who Joaquin is? Because I totally um, believe that that's I mean he's able to transform. No, into I don't his think it's characters. a transformation. I think that's who he is. That's proven. But Joaquin's a weirdo. That movie was about a old has been musician, rapper, boy band guy who fell off the deep end, kind of like, I don't know, Aaron Carter or some shit. And he's trying to make his comeback. That's the story of the movie. And he goes on this talk show as someone who's trying to make a comeback as like a has been musician. And they didn't tell Letterman that this was going to be Joaquin Phoenix playing a character. They just said, this is Joaquin Phoenix. That's why he was so weirded out by it. They didn't prepare him. They tried to like use this method of like filming a movie in real life without the other people involved knowing that it's a movie or a character. See, I, I find that hard to believe because I don't think Letterman would ever have that lack of control over his own show. Well, I'll give you another example. Is that like the band that he was in in the, in the movie? They actually did create a band. They wrote an album. They wrote songs. He memorized them. He sang them. They went on tour. They filmed. They used this footage in the movie. And it's really him acting a fool and like being drunk on stage and like doing crazy shit and falling into the audience and like being a pretty much a shitty has-been performer. That's the character. But they actually went and toured with a band where Joaquin Phoenix was the front man as that character with the big beard and fucked up and weird and awkward. And that's footage. In but here's the, movie. the thing. Here's the thing. I think Joaquin Phoenix is crazy enough to actually think he was that guy. That's how crazy I think Joaquin Phoenix is. Yeah, I think temporarily. I think, I think Joaquin Phoenix is insane. Like he's, but that's what makes him a great actor. Yes. And we've seen that time and again over many roles that you've seen him play because that guy can get into a role in a way that oh, without a doubt, not a lot of people can do. I mean, he's a because method it actor. takes it takes. Yeah. And it takes a commitment to really because like I've been in the darkest places, man. And I like I know like if I wanted to channel something to get into that mindset, actors it's crazy. Like they have to like really fucking trick their own mind mm -hmm. to be the person that they're playing because it's like, this isn't who I am, but like if I'm going to be authentic in this, I have to trick myself into thinking that this is who I actually am. So Joaquin's, it's almost like he's permanently tricked himself into thinking he is whoever he's playing. And you're like, no, he actually is this person in this, in this role. And it's like, that's something that there's actors and then there's like people who are just like just that like they they're they're he's a chameleon like whatever yeah whatever role he has makes he you is wonder that person and he really believes he is that person. right I mean that makes you wonder if after they rap who does he go back to being who is he really does he even know right and does he go back to a quote regular life where he's finally himself? You know, I, I think sometimes like sociopaths make the best actors because sociopaths 
their intention is to display human emotions to seem human, even though that's not how they truly feel. Right. Maybe there's a complete lack of emotions, but they try to display what looks like emotions in order to seem human. Right. Which, honestly, let's break it down. That's what an actor is. Displaying emotions to seem human. Yeah. I mean, but if if you're talking about like really getting yourself into a point where you could be a character, I think you have to detach yourself from reality in a sense and really just like live that role. And like if you're like that becoming that person, like if you if at any point during that performance you're like you're you become you versus what you're playing then all of a sudden you lose some uh, some of that authenticity mm-hmm. because now you're you so this is the character is the lens of you being that person versus truly becoming that character that's like great acting like mm-hmm. really just i'm not even me i don't even know who me is that's why I think actors, like great actors, are fucking crazy mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, Tom Hanks being maybe the exception of that. Like, I think Tom Hanks is like just a good dude. But like, the guys that play these roles is like, they don't even know who they are. Like, they're really convinced that they are this person because that's the limit. That's the, that's how far you have to go to really get it, to really capture it. Acting is crazy. Acting is like, you're, not yourself anymore and can i stop being myself and if you do that enough if you if you become something else not you enough i think you go crazy yeah i think you're like eventually you're like i don't even know who i am i don't know who me is that's why i like stand-ups i like admire so much because that's like the truest me that's like the the real this is me yeah but actors are reading st- something somebody else wrote, so they're becoming something that's not them. It's kind of like stand-up and acting are like two opposite ends of the spectrum. Because One is where you're becoming someone else, and the other is where you're becoming, becoming the your, most your true most, you. Yep. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, and people will tell you stories about how like method actors prefer to still be addressed as the character. Right. Even when they're rolling or when they're not rolling. Yep. If they're in their trailer Day Lewis. or they call them at five o'clock in the morning and say, we need you to meet us for a meeting. Mm-hmm. They don't say, Hey, Daniel Day Lewis. They'll say, Hey, Abraham Lincoln. Right. Can you meet us for lunch? And you it's know? like, do you think that, do you think that doesn't make people get crazy? Yeah. It's like, because if you're going to be that person, like you're, you're so, just into that that you're you lose yourself and i think in my opinion this is what happened with heath ledger he lost himself in the character and when the movie was over and they said all right we're done everybody pack up and go home he was like who the fuck am i yep and then he took sleeping pills because he couldn't sleep and then he took the wrong mix and then didn't wake up that's it yeah dude i i think that actors are revered in our culture for sure like great actors are just 
but it's like mm-hmm. you don't know what they're sacrificing to yeah. get that like you're idolizing something where it's the opposite of authenticity you're not being authentic you're being something completely separate from yourself it is a strange phenomenon that we idolize but that. there is an authenticity within that but it's like but it's basically yeah, the why least do we, why do we admire you can be. people yeah. that pretend to be somebody else why is faking it such an admirable trait because everyone fakes it all the time like how often are people really truly authentic mm, not very often not much people don't like being vulnerable yeah but they don't realize that that's where the freedom really is is in bearing yourself naked to your audience and yeah. really showing who you are who you are not who this character you're playing is but who you are the authenticity is it's different because there's the truth of my truth and then there's a the truth of what I'm doing to play this character so yeah man I think actors are who else do you think is in that same category of like Heath Ledger, Joaquin Phoenix? If you had to name a few, who would you think of? Um, Christian Bale. Yeah, came to mind. The the things that guy will do for a character. Seriously, like really. Is that one he lost a lot of body. weight for? Hmm. What's that one that he like lost a lot of weight for and he was like super skinny? The Machinist. Yeah. Yeah. You know who else and lost then, a lot of weight dude, for a role? See, Matthew McConaughey. Did you see Cheney? Or is no. it Cheney? Is it Cheney? Yes, I think so. Um uh, where he plays Christian Dick Bell Cheney. plays Dick Cheney. Yes. And you're like, this is Dick Cheney. This isn't Christian Bell. I haven't seen it, but I hear good yeah. things. Uh yeah. McConaughey's great. Did I tell you I saw him downtown Austin? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're a terrible actor. <laughs> He was laughing. <laughs> I mean, he did win an Oscar for that of course, role. He's a great actor, but I don't think he goes to the limits that. And that's some an interesting arc that he had in his career was to go from like rom com to like Academy Award nominated, Oscar winning Matthew McConaughey and Interstellar and Dallas Buyers Club. It's like that was out of left field. Is all you got to do is lose a lot of weight and become crazy to win an Oscar, and then you're just like a list from then on out. Right. I mean, I don't think there's very many actors that will go to the extremes that it requires to become the character they're playing. I would um, say another one is I'd say Daniel Gary, Day-Lewis. Is Daniel Day-Lewis. I'd say Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Fantastic actor. Maybe even uh, Denzel Washington. He calls himself a method actor. That's why it comes to mind. But um, I can't think of any roles right off the top of my head where like he challenged his own sanity but he always pretty much embodies the character that he plays yeah and i think that um you see some of that person in him in the character of you see some of him in the character he makes it real. denzel is the same character in every fucking movie he plays every movie he plays he's the same person he doesn't change a little bit he doesn't he doesn't change who he is you can't you can't deny that he's the same character in every fucking movie. Same as Tom Cruise. Same as uh, same Keanu character. Reeves, <laughs> except for Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, which is oh yeah amazing. But 
which is so out of character for him. That's yeah. why I, I like, <laughs> I fucking love him in that movie. But like, are you, you know, telling me you want me to let my client die for a G five and some money? Yes. Yes. A G five airplane. Yes. Yes. And lots, lots of money. Lots of money. <laughs> Play Apple bottom <laughs> jeans, jeans, boots with the fur. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, I don't think there's very many characters. Uh, we're talking about men too, like women that can can get there. I I think honestly, women can probably get there even better than men can. What do you mean? All women actors are just men with wigs. Kate uh, Blanchett. She becomes the character she's playing. You feel it like, but I think also, uh, women are more in tune with putting whatever face on they need to put on. I think that we're as guys a little bit more like apprehensive about trying to like be something we're not. And women for evolutionary reasons are better at evolving to whatever the situation they're in is that's a good point to be that, that could because be right. that's a survival thing uh, natalie so, portman and black swan yeah i think women can do some acting that you're like oh shit <laughs> charlie's theron and monster yeah i mean and um she was unrecognizable right in that movie well and then they, they go, go through some wicked transformations hmm but I don't, uh, I just, I feel like we're, we idolize this like celebrity culture where people are something they're not because we want to be something we're not. So it's easy to like put these people on a pedestal that are pretending to be something that they're not because that's all we want is to be something we're not. So, yeah, it's kind of like this separation between like who we're idolizing and then what we like about them. You know, it's like, "Oh my god, I love Leonardo DiCaprio. I want to be just like him." Well, what do you know about him? Nothing. You know, you, you know who you just made me think of who's a great fucking actor. You know the characters that he plays. You don't know anything about the person himself or what he right. believes or what he wants. I mean, He's only just now like become outspoken about climate change and he's passionate about that. But like that could be said for like any handful of actors is that like we idolize their characters, but like you don't know shit about that person. Right. No. Yeah. We, um, we put people up on this pedestal that it's like we're, uh, we're assigning all of the things that we wish we could be to the characters that we're watching. And it's like, we want ourselves to have that like freedom to be this, you know, cause acting is, is a certain kind of freedom. Cause you're like, I'm not me, I'm somebody else. So it, there's a freedom in it. And it's like, but it's like, no, you're just running away from what you're really scared of, which is yourself. You're running away from your own fear of who you are. Like, so we want to like pretend that 
we could be something else because it makes life easier to deal with because we don't have to be who we really actually are. People don't want to deal with who they actually are. It's terrible. Like, I don't want to like admit who I am. I don't want to admit that I'm like, like all these things that I wished and wanted in my life that never came to fruition and never will. It's like, I can pretend to be somebody that did get that. So I can like, it's, it makes my life easier. So I don't have to like be actually who I am. So acting is appealing because it's like we get to be somebody else and be vicariously living through that character that we wish we had the freedom to be. I can see that, but I would also say that we so easily forget that what we might start out saying is, oh man, I wish I didn't have to deal with like my family member getting cancer. I wish I could just be an actor and just pretend I'm on a beach and uh, it's a romantic comedy. And guess who's starring? Matthew McConaughey. But guess what? Like, those actors, sometimes their family members have cancer. Like, sometimes, whenever they go back to their trailer, they're FaceTiming their family long distance, and they're dealing with some tragedy. And guess what, man? The show must go on. They also have a real life outside of the movies. And we forget that, like, they're not really escaping. We might think that they are, but they're really not. Yeah. And it's a, such such a rough industry, too. I mean, if, if I were to say to someone, like, would you rather have um, a dependable Monday through Friday job where you get the weekends off to spend time with the family and eat healthy and exercise and have a good work-life balance and have a salary where you won't uh, be in debt or have any needs – let's say $75,000 a year, or would you rather be a famous actor? Some people might jump at the opportunity to be a famous actor, but in reality, that's probably not that great of a life. <clears throat> their hours are long. They work hard. Sometimes they put their bodies through stresses and through demands or mental anguish and sometimes like leading themselves to death they have to be on call every second of the day and they have to do what other people tell them the whole time and they can never be themselves, especially in front of a camera. Mm -hmm. Their whole life is on public display where people take pictures of them where they can't even go to Starbucks. You can't get in your car and go to the grocery store. So I wonder who's actually suffering the most. You know, Is it the person they're playing in a movie that's suffering or is it them when they go home from the movie and they're suffering yeah i mean i don't think fame's all it's cracked up to be i used to as like a young aspiring musician say like oh i want to be rich and famous but eventually i outgrew that and i was like you know what i don't want to be rich and famous my only goal eventually became to just be able to provide for myself by doing something that i love well as an artist my goal is put out quality content like i i just want what i'm putting out to be something that has merit and value and people can appreciate and like actually like make a difference like i don't give a fuck about like i don't i'm not doing this for money like what if i'm doing this for money you think it would affect you it's like no i'm not doing it for money it's not about money right it's it's something that's goes deeper and art and artists 
rarely actually really get the acclaim they probably deserve any time that they're alive. And the best artists, like the things we appreciate the most, typically those people never really got the acclaim that that they mm-hmm. were probably due while they were alive. It's usually There's a after the fact. Fantastic Wilco lyric where he said, "The best bands will never get signed." The case set starring Butcher's Blind. They're so good, but you'll never know. They never even played a show. And you can't hear them on the radio. Yeah, dude, 100%. I mean, it's it's like, I saw an interesting uh, video on Reddit recently. And there was this violinist. I don't forget his name, but he's like a world-class violinist. And he went to... Uh, a subway station in New York City and nobody knows who he is because he's a violinist nobody knows yeah. violinist but he's yeah. like literally a world-class violinist yeah. and he was playing on like a fucking two million dollar violin that he took into the subway station and he was playing these incredibly technically difficult pieces by like Bach and like and they just filmed him for like 45 minutes and just people walking by didn't even notice and you're like this Damn. this world class violinist virtuoso yeah absolutely and people are walking by cuz they got to catch a train they got to catch a train you know it's like like if you really see true talent do you recognize it when you see it mm, maybe not maybe you think you would but i mean maybe in a certain mm. context but not in that context yeah and it's like you're like it's like that shows you that like the people that are the most talented typically don't really get their due. Like they don't, people don't really truly recognize their talent while they're alive or in the moment. They only later are like, Oh my God, that's beautiful. It's like, why didn't you recognize it when it was right in fucking front of you? Why didn't you, why didn't you see it? It's like, I mean, Van Gogh died penniless. Yeah. Tesla. Yep. I mean, there's there's so many people that have done these extraordinary things that people, you know, never knew. And it's like, that's why I don't think you can invest yourself in the outcome in the moment you're in because it is a moment. And so it's like, you're not creating this for right now. You're creating this for a hundred years from now. You're creating this for a thousand years from now. It's like so few of those artists that exist today. And it's a shame that like the pop music culture celebrates mediocrity. That's what I wanted to say is that like we heard that Maroon 5 song where he's basically copying Pachelbel's Canon in D. And for a little while, that was the number one song on the radio. Yeah. Unoriginal, not creative. And that's one of the best musicians or not. um, Let's take back the word best and say monetarily one of the most professionally successful musicians alive today. Mm -hmm. And the guy in the subway virtuoso violinist just gets passed by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's upside down. It's a shame. It, it is, but it's also like, as a performer, you're like, 
you have to accept that if I'm doing something cutting edge, if I'm really going out to try to like do something that's going to like maybe change the world, then most people are going to reject it. They don't want it. Yeah. People don't want it. They don't want, it's different. It's too different. And people are like, I don't like, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. This is too much. Yeah. And it's like, it's like you, they're sacrificing themselves for something that they're never going to get to see what it becomes. They're only going to get to do it. And then later after they're long gone, people are going to be like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Why didn't we realize it? Why didn't we see it in the moment? Like, because you were too busy fucking checking your email. You were too busy, like, trying to, like, catch up on your fucking, you know, daily tasks. Like, art So few people have time for anything new. They just want more of the same, like, something mm -hmm. they're used to. Same is comfortable. Comfortable. That's, it's complacent. And it's comfortable. Like, comfort is way more appealing to people than change. change That's a double-edged sword. I mean, like, we, we work hard so that we can be comfortable, but, man, that's dangerous to stay comfortable. There's a stagnation that occurs because of it. So you're, you know, you've worked hard and you've gotten to this point, but then all of a sudden, like, it's like, you're like, okay, I've, I've blossomed. I've, I'm a blooming flower. Now I, like, that, that's it. Like, God, that's right. It's like, well, now you can evolve. You can actually do something else. And people are afraid of, like, what lies on the other side of, like, the just, like, darkness that they, they don't want to go in there. So, like, new ideas are resisted almost they're like fought against like we don't want this we know that oh okay yeah this is good like i don't like i can't like like i've been fighting against it for 10 years and it's like i'm just i'm just trying to be heard but it's like at the same time i'm like <laughs> what am i gonna do? what am i gonna say to you that's gonna affect your life in any way nothing i can't i can't make your life better I can't, I can't change things to make you a more content and happy person. Like, that's just who you are. So, like, you're afraid of change. And I represent that. So, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not in your wheelhouse because I'm just pushing you to be going into exploring territories that you're not wanting to go to. Like, people are afraid to, like, venture it's like, it's like drugs. It's like, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of what I might uncover. Like, I don't want to go to that. I don't want to go there because I don't want to be putting my mind in a place where I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm unsure of it's what fear the unknown. Yeah. Which is one of the greatest fears. And it's a great motivator too. That'll get people off their asses is, either the fear of death or the fear of the unknown. And those are kind of synonymous sometimes because what is death? We don't know. It is the unknown. So sometimes people use those interchangeably, but fear of the unknown or fear of death is a great motivator. But look, everybody cried when 
and Sync broke up, but then we got Justin Timberlake, and he's probably the modern king of pop after yeah. Michael Jackson died. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah. And but boy bands always break up, right? You know, you always got to be doing the next thing. You can't stay a boy band forever. We got to have our Justin Timberlakes. People need to blossom. I think we're afraid of ideas, dude. We're afraid of like if I'm like pushing myself to be like exploring new territory that I've never been in before. Like that's a scary thing. So what's easier than that? Staying where I'm at and not letting anybody challenge me and letting my bubble be unperturbed from any outside forces. It's like, that's, that's an easier route to go than to be like, I'm going to open myself up to maybe getting fucking totally fucked up. Basically failure. Yeah. You don't want to risk failure. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And the beauty is that failure is where freedom is. Freedom lies in, in failing. Because then you start to realize. That's where the growth comes from. And you start to realize like, like you're, all of you are just afraid to do this. You're you're too scared to be this person. You're too scared to like venture out on this limb and you want to stay safe. So like live your safe life. It, it It's really like evolutionary, like just survival, like mechanisms that we have that I think, you know, the fear of going to do stand up is evolutionary it's like really based in like people's fear of like putting themselves in a position where they could be humiliated Mm -hmm. and they don't want to do it because it's scary to like get humiliated but like guess what when you get humiliated you get done with it and you're like i'm okay i'm okay like i'm not dead like i just got humiliated but i'm still here you know it's like if you can venture into that, then all of a sudden it opens up all these new doors that you're like, I, I've set up all these like roadblocks in my mind about why I can't do what I want to do. But it's like, no, you were just afraid of the unknown. You were afraid to venture out into this uncharted territory that it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm like afraid, but guess what? Oh yeah. If you're if you come out on the other side of it and you're still alive, there you go. You're still so, alive. Not so bad. You're then, still huh? alive. Yeah. yeah. You're like you're not dead. Right? I think so. I think people instinctively have the fear of the unknown because they're afraid of the failure, but they don't see it instead as a learning opportunity. Like it's okay to fail. And I always tell my son, like, hey, if you learn from your mistakes, then they're not mistakes. They're learning opportunities. And there's a good quote by Thomas Edison where he says, when he's asked by a reporter, what was your feeling whenever you failed 3,000 times before you actually created a working light bulb? And he said, I didn't fail 3,000 times. I learned 3,000 times how not to make a light bulb. Right. And it's, it's a great perspective because... You're right, as 
biological humans we've evolved to like have that fear of uh of the embarrassment we catastrophize like oh my god like it could be really bad it could be the worst thing ever but if you get up there and you're brave enough to do it and you get through it and you're on the other side and you're like wow i'm still alive that wasn't so bad i can do it again i can do it again it's like it's like conquering a fear i think a therapist would probably call that like exposure therapy you know if you're afraid of like speaking in front of people they're probably going to make you get up there and go like speak in front of people and then at the end when you're still alive they're like, see, that wasn't so bad, was it? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's because it feels like you're going to die when you go into it. You're like, oh, fuck, I'm going to die. Like, yeah. that's the fear. That's the that's evolutionary the biological trigger. It's, I'm going to die. It's almost like a, a biochemical response. You know, your brain's getting flooded yeah. with all sorts of stuff. And it is a fear of that. Uh, anxiety of the unknown or, or the potential looming death. Right now, I mean, we're not out in the savannah being chased down by, you know, the king of the jungle, but our modern day version of that is being humiliated in front of a room of people as mm-hmm. a, as a comedian. Right. And guess what? When you stand up to the elephant, the elephant sometimes backs down, Right. So how great does that feel to actually have a wave of success in the moment when you're performing stand up and how much does that keep you going? Um, It's, it's truly a drug for sure. So it's like, I, I get that high from that, but then also I'm like, I could, to me, a good set, the the high of it doesn't last nearly as long as the low of a bad set Ooh. does. A bad set can feel a hundred times worse than a good set because a good set's like, yeah, this was great. This is nice, but on to the next one, right? I could be funny tonight, but tomorrow night I may bomb, you know? So whereas a bad set, you're like, it just really sets in because the bad is just easier. It's just easier to go to. It's easier to like feel shitty about who you are and what you're doing. All right, then let me follow up by asking this question. Which one motivates you more, the failures or the successes is it that you want to avoid sucking or is it that you want to continue being good? Um, do you want to not feel bad or do you want to strive to feel good? Which one motivates you more? Neither. Um, what motivates me is like being able to say something that change the world like I don't like like I'm like wise enough to know that like anything I do it's like it may or may not be appreciated in a moment but if I'm striving for something bigger if what I'm trying to do is supersedes any one given moment then my purpose feels more intact like I feel more like 
in tune with what I'm trying to do because I'm like, I don't give a fuck about any one audience and their feelings about me. It's like this, this is bigger than that. So like feeling good, feeling bad. They both come and go. Like I want to like change hearts and minds. Like that's my goal. Like, I don't want to like, I don't want to just do this to like, uh, get a cheap laugh. I want to change hearts and minds. Like I want, I want people to like walk away and be like, I feel like a different person because of this. Hmm. That's interesting to hear you say that. I don't know if I've ever actually heard you verbalize it that way before that that's your overarching goal for comedy is actually to say something more impactful than comedy. Like you're saying, well, the, good times and the bad times are not irrelevant, but they pale in comparison to the opportunity to say something so impactful that it'll change someone's life. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to like, now, did that, feeling, it, that, that has nothing to do with money. There's no amount of money you could give me. Now, do you have that goal in your mind because that happened to you? Like, is that why you can visualize that goal? Like, were you sitting on the other end of that, having your life changed by a comedian telling you something impactful, and that sparked the idea and motivated you to do the same? Yeah. Yeah. Hicks. Bill Hicks. Hicks. Hicks literally came up to me and said, you need to go do this now. And, like, I can't like tell you what it was i i knew i loved the attention i knew i loved performing whatever but it was like there was something bigger that i was like this is about something bigger and like then also realizing like what he went through like literally walking crowds having people just literally walk the fuck out mm of his performances because they were so disgusted by him. And you're like, that's the level of commitment it takes to be this is, I can't, I don't fucking care. I don't care if you like me or don't like me. This isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about us pushing this to something better and greater. The message. And the message. And like, I don't, like, I don't think I have anything profound to say to people. Like, but I just feel like if I own who I am truly and wholly, like, people will see, like, the conviction I have in my message. And I'm more about what does this mean 10 years from now? What does this mean 15 years from now? What does this mean 50 years from now? What does this mean 100 years from now? What does this mean? Not right now. Like, if what I'm saying has value 100 years from now, if what I'm saying has a value 1,000 years from now, think about it. Think about people that did shit that, like, do you think Socrates knew the things he was saying and talking about would have value 2,000 years after the fact? Fuck no. He didn't know that. He had no idea. 
that the things he was doing and saying were going to resonate and ripple out into the ether for thousands of years, you know? So it's like, I'm not sure what anything I'll do, what impact it'll have, but I'm not fighting for today. I'm fighting for a hundred years from now. I'm fighting for a thousand years from now. Like I'm, I'm thinking about something way further out than what is right now. Mm. Like if I'm living in right now, right now is fucking shitty. And it like, it's like you had a good day today. You're going to have a shitty day tomorrow. Guess what? You're one second gone the next. Yeah. And so my message can't waver based on the tides. Like I have to be steadfast in what I'm saying that I know like Mm. this is going to be ringing true way, way, way past my, when my clock, when my, you know, when everything stops. Yeah. So I, yeah, man, I don't know. I, um, I just, it's not about money, but it is about money, but it's not. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I guess it's not about money. I have to be funny. Yeah. I have to be funny. Yeah. Right. You want to be able I have to, to be, eat and drink water. I have water. to do my job. You need to be able to survive. But somehow. this isn't a job. Yeah. Right. So I have to, I have to get bigger than this. So if, if the cost is I die penniless and with That's no, with no, no ear and, and feeling like nothing I ever did mattered. And then I'm just, okay. okay. So that's what the price was. That's the price I had to pay, but I'm going to fight for something bigger than this moment. I'm going to fight for the future. I'm going to fight for ideas that could maybe some point, like really change perceptions and I probably won't ever get to like be there to see it happen. Like I'll just have to like hope that I'm saying something that matters. But I think if you stay true and if you really believe in the message and you don't waver from what you truly feel in your heart to be the, the like the goodness and the truth then you can't go wrong. I, I think if you if you try to pander, if you try to like be something for somebody to be playing a role that you're not, you're never gonna be happy. You have to like really live your most authentic life and know that like if you truly seek to walk the righteous path, it's never gonna be like Jesus. <laughs> Motherfucker got murdered. Everybody that tried to do something good got murdered. Got murdered. Anybody that tries to do something worthwhile gets murdered. So just know that that's the price you're going to pay. You're going to pay your life for it. So, (laughs) I mean, at some point, if you are that kind of person, like you may feel so convicted that you would die for your cause like some martyrs have done. And if you were that willing to die on that hill, kudos to you. If you knew that that was the hill you were going to die on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like you better be sure you better be sure. Like, 
And I think that most people don't know what hills they're willing to die on. Like, I'm pretty convinced that I know the hills that I'm going to die on. That the, the mm-hmm. Where I'm going to take my stand and I'm not going to back down. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you either kill me or I kill you. I don't want to kill you, but if you're going to try to kill me, bring it. Bring it. I will fight you to the death. <laughs> oh, dude, this has been great, man. We it's had been good. It's been good. It's been awesome this has been some real discussion. I think this has been one of the best For podcasts real. I've ever done. To be honest with you, I'm I mean, not even kidding. I don't even think applause. I need to cut it. <laughs> I don't even think I need to cut it because it's that good. Yeah, that was awesome. If you made it to the end of this, congrats to Thank you. you for sticking around. Hopefully, we entertained you We've to the all point. Grown. I think. I think you know. <laughs> look, where you saw one set of footprints in the sand, I carry. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad we didn't get in a fight this time. Yeah, we're making progress. Yes. We'll 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 chop this I mean, up. At some points, it was like so good that it felt like a lightning bolt hit the tip of my penis or something. <laughs> like, no, that's that's, I, I, I that's, that's like herpes. That's that's actually herpes. I feel like I'm front row at a Leonard Skinner concert and I'm just hammered, drunk. <laughs> that's actually John C. Riley. You're still in lines now. Yeah, dear right. eight pound. Six ounce. How about how about an original baby Jesus? Don't even know a word yet. How about an original Taylor Alberton line to to end this so we can close it out? What what do you got? What do you want to tell the audience that's maybe listening still? God bless you if you are. Well, there was something I realized to myself one day after like thorough meditation, and is this. You are forever becoming who you are. It's a nonstop process. You're never at a start and you're never at a finish. It's constant. Your perceptions will change. You will continue to grow. You will live through the hard times and your struggles will be breed greatness. You are forever becoming who you already are. <clears throat> yeah, I... Uh and also who you are is always right now. So that's all we have. You're not, right now. you're not have. some future you yeah. and you're not the past you. You're only you. That's all we have. Well, thanks my, for listening. Man. It's appreciate you. It's been good. It yeah. was a day. All oh, right. that was good. Thank you for uh, where this one's good. This one's going up. This one's going up. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. Sarcasm orgasm. Okay, bye.